0: You're listening to the Open-Handed Bible Podcast, a program dedicated to engaging scripture, embracing mystery and ambiguity, and uncovering a deeper, richer story. My name is Adam McBruhn, and welcome to our show. Hello, 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 and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Open-Handed Bible Podcast. If you're listening to this thank you so much it means the world so you may be hearing this and wondering okay that's great so who the heck are you what the heck is this podcast about and what in the name of everything good and holy are you talking about well, that's pretty much what this episode is going to be covering. It's kind of the class syllabus. You know that class you have at the beginning of the year where it's basically going over the content, the materials, just kind of a quick overview and outside of that you don't really do anything. So, that's what this episode is basically going to be. So, we'll just do kind of a quick introduction to me, a introduction to what the podcast is pretty much going to be about. And then a intro to our first series that we'll be covering. So, first part, an intro to me. So, like you got from the little opening segment, my name is Adam McBroom. I am from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm basically a nerd who loves learning about the Bible, about theology, and about God. I've been married for about a year and a half to my wonderful, lovely wife, Erin. I am the father of a wonderful, adorable, and hilarious uh, seven-year-old son named Ty. I'm a writer for a blogging project called Rogue Millennials. It's basically a group of millennial Christians writing about faith, life, politics, and things in a church that we see as wrong, things we see as right, and the hope that those wrongs can be made right. So... <clears throat> anyway, as far as me spiritually speaking, I definitely grew up in the church. Grew up and born and raised in a small town called Loudon outside of Knoxville, and I grew up in a small town Southern Baptist church, and so you know attended there for until about when I started going to college. Then, when I went to college, I you know be, be, became exposed to kind of a different way of thinking. Like I said, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and the school I went to was Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, which, for those not familiar with, is a Pentecostal school. So, a bit of the other side of the the tracks, belief-wise, there. But, you know, I kind of became exposed to Pentecostal thought and practice to the point where I eventually became part of a Pentecostal church for a while, and... You know, worked with their youth group, and it was a good experience. I definitely learned some good things. You know, it was opened up to kind of more experiences, you know, whereas the Southern Baptist tradition I grew up in was very much based in the Word, There is a lot of basis in experience of the Spirit in the Pentecostal Church. So there were some wonderful things that I learned there. You know, it's the time of my life that I do treasure. There were, unfortunately, some doctrinal issues I just couldn't accommodate and in the end that did result in my leaving that church but you know it's a time that I do still look back on fondly so there was a point in my life I kind of went through this spiritual dark period I had a lot of unresolved questions a lot of unresolved anger with God a lot of doubts that I've been kind of wrestling with Well, not so much wrestling just kind of trying to push it back and I couldn't anymore and kind of just went through sort of this dark phase, kind of a rebellious phase, and kind of just had a lot of doubts about God, to the point where I almost really quit on God. Although there were some wonderful things that happened during that time, one of those being the birth of my son. But after a while I got to this place where kind of realizing I just really needed to work through those questions, and part of that involved kinda of getting myself back to God in order to kinda of have space to wrestle with those. So so I did. I ended up uh, joining this one church, um, that was a EFCA church. For those not familiar with that denomination, EFCA is the Evangelical Free Church of America. And this particular church, it focused on kinda of having a blend of both word and spirit traditions. So it was um it was definitely um wonderful kind of having the best of both worlds there <clears throat> and you know got, you know became part of that church began you know attending pre-faithfully you know got myself involved with in the community in that church and made a lot of um close lasting friendships and um got involved to the point where eventually I actually ended up going back into student ministry and, um, you know, joined the middle school ministry of that church for a few years. And it was a wonderful, although often crazy, experience. And as I went on through that time, I kind of came to this point of asking, you know, various questions about my faith, about why did I believe things that I believed in. that did I believe them or what I just handed them? And, you know, I kind of sort of grew up with this idea that, like, certain things were just givens, that certain things had to be believed in, you know, things like the absolute inerrancy of the Bible, sort of leading this idea of maybe should Scripture be read literally, or should everything be taken as is in the Bible? Is it the absolute, you know, the absolute be-all, end-all? You know, wrestling with ideas about, Creation Was it this whole, you know, seven days younger type thing? Or was there room for variance there? You know, could it be believed as being a much longer period? Could it have gone out through, you know, like millions, even billions of years? Could it have been drawn out like that? Could evolution have been part of the process that it may be the how and not the why? I mean, could God have used evolution? Could parts of the creation narrative, as well as many other parts of scripture, were they to be taken literally, or should they be looked at more literarily, like literary devices and such? Kind of realizing there is a lot of poetry, there is a lot of story, there is a lot of these um, elements in the Bible that I had to kind of ask questions about what to do with them. ended up asking more Finding myself asking questions about communion, about baptism, about the end times, about hell, about heaven, about lots of things. And kind of coming to this point where I could acknowledge that I could ask these questions and still be a Christian. I could change my mind on a lot of these views and still be a Christian. That I didn't have to, you know, hope with this, you know, death grip onto the things I'd learned, the things I kind of carried over from my youth, lest faith fall apart. I actually found the opposite to be true, that I could, you know, loosen my grip on these things, that I could allow for different possibilities, and it actually ended up making my faith deeper and stronger and richer. And I don't know, that that room, that permission for asking questions, for for engaging other possibilities, it gave this room to grow, it gained this you know, room to move and to discover that there is so much more to be explored to this, to this journey of faith. And I think kind of that's what this whole podcast is really about, to um, kind of talk about really taking up that permission. So what exactly does that look like? Well, that will be the second segment of this episode. So, what exactly is this whole podcast about? What exactly is meant by this whole open-handed Bible thing? Well, for that, um, let me drop some knowledge on you that I learned recently from listening to a podcast from Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey is the man behind things like The Bible Project and the Exploring My Strange Bible podcast, and my opinion, he is without a doubt one of the best Bible teachers out there right now. Do yourself a favor. Listen to some of the Bible Proje- Project and Exploring My Strange Bible podcast. Watch some of the Bible Project videos. They are absolutely amazing. But anyway, I was listening to one of uh, Dr. Mackey's podcasts on Exploring My Strange Bible where he was talking about Ecclesiastes. Definitely the most feel-good book of the Bible, am I right? But anyway, he uh, shared this one verse, and the verse doesn't really so much have to do with the interpretation of Scripture. What I want to focus on is some of the words he pointed out, like the Hebrew behind some of the words. But it's in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 5 and 6. The fool folds his arms and consumes his flesh. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. Yeah, definitely some feel-good stuff right there. By the way, I'm reading that from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Anywho, where this one part that got me so much that Tim Mackey was talking about was in verse 6. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and the pursuit of the wind. And so even though you have, like, for English, the same word there, handful, that there's actually two very different Hebrew words at play, those words being chofen and kaf. And so the chofen appears in, you know, two handfuls with effort and the pursuit of the wind. And so according to Dr. Mackey, chofen refers to just this kind of clenched death grip, just holding something super tightly in like two handfuls with that. And whereas the other word, cough, it's in the better one handful with rest. And cough refers to the palm of your hand, so like this open hand. So like better an open hand with rest than two clenched fists grips with effort in a pursuit of the wind. Okay, so so what? What does this have to do anything? Well, I think, especially growing up with interpretations of the Bible that we get, either things we grow up with or things we see in the world around us, that we I think we definitely tend, especially in American evangelicalism, to see kind of this clenched grip, this hoffen grip on certain concepts, you know, like inerrancy like young earth creation like a eternal conscious torment view of hell premillennialism view of the end times or you know (laughs) things like that but this grip kind of like that this has to be true and like maybe not so much that the scripture has to be true but that This interpretation that I believe in. This interpretation that I've grown up with. Has to be true. And just this absolute death grip on it. But I don't know. It can be so taxing. It can be so tiring. Like holding it so tightly like that. And it's almost like trying. Like you're trying to wriggle it. Like you're trying to wrestle it. Like you're trying to force it into this place. (laughs) Whereas with this. Cough. Cough. It's open hand, that it's more restful and it's kind of letting Scripture read itself or letting Scripture interpret itself and bringing us to this place where we can hold it with an open hand and, you know, if it turns out that what we grew up with is true or is supported by Scripture, great, and if it isn't great, then there must be something else and scripture can tell us that or if it doesn't give us this you know finite firm view of what it is then great then there's other possibilities there and maybe there's more room to grow more room to explore more things to see something i've definitely discovered is that particularly for the western side of the church and particularly in that for the um American evangelical side of that western church we don't do well with mystery we don't do well with ambiguity we, we want answers we want certainty <laughs> we want we want it to be one thing and often we want it to be the one thing that also helps whatever agenda we might have like politically, financially religiously, what have you but Excuse me. But there's other parts of the church, there's other traditions like now and also throughout church history that they did better with mystery than we do, that they didn't mind it. They were able to live with the tension. They were able to live with ambiguity. They were able to live with not having all the answers and knowing that there are certain things that they couldn't figure out then and that we may never figure out and over time I've learned that's okay that we can deal with a little mystery that we can deal with a little ambiguity and I think honestly it's healthy for us too I think it's honestly better for us because I think we definitely grow up in this day and age where we can we confuse faith with certainty that that We kind of hold to these things in this belief that if they are not absolutely true, then how can we believe in God? How can we believe in Jesus? How can we continue to be Christians? And honestly, I think after a while we come to this place where we realize that certainty is something completely different than faith. Faith is this confidence that god is real that god is good that jesus is the messiah that he is the king the consolation of israel and the hope for the world it's this allegiance to everything jesus stands for to the mission of the church and his desire to fix the world i mean you know, from one thing I learned from another wonderful biblical scholar, N.T. Wright, that the Greek word for faith is pistos, which means this allegiance, this allegiance to the king, and that king is Jesus. And that faith, it factors in that allegiance and that dedication to Jesus, not this certainty of things we grew up with. That That's something else entirely, and sometimes... Certainty conflicts with our faith. Sometimes certainty, this desire for certainty, even erodes at our faith. So I mean, I know this can be daunting. I know it can be confusing, even a little threatening. But let me ask you this. If you found out today, like, without a shadow of a doubt, that things in the Bible weren't supposed to be taken literally and that there were things open to interpretation would you still believe in God? If you found out that hell was something different than just an eternal fire pit for the damned, would you still believe in God? If you found out that that that, that kid in some remote village somewhere, that person in a remote village somewhere who had never ever heard the gospel before that that he may not necessarily go to hell when he dies, that he or she may be taken up with God. If you found out that was a possibility, would you still believe in God? If you found out that the rapture wasn't going to happen, would you still believe in God? Is your faith in God, or is your faith in the idea that these things that you grew up with absolutely have to be true (laughs) because if your faith is in those things rather than God rather than the person of Jesus then I think it's time to ask yourself some deep very important questions because I think there's a problem so that's what this podcast is about it's about embracing that permission embracing that ability to ask those questions, to deal with a little mystery, to look at these different texts in the Bible and realize, you know, maybe there's something different here. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Princess Bride. And of course, there's this one part we all know and love where you have one of the most, one of the coolest characters ever developed, Eagle Montoya, you know, that scene where he looks at Vizini. You know, while he keeps going, inconceivable, inconceivable, where he keeps spouting that off. And at one point, Inigo Montoya is just like, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. You know, that's the point, you know, looking at these passages and kind of maybe coming to a point. Maybe this doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Maybe this doesn't mean what I grew up believing it meant or hearing it meant maybe there's different things at play here maybe if i you know if i read it this way it kind of comes out different or if i read it in conjunction with this there's something different being said here i mean maybe this isn't maybe this thing over here is more of a story device than something to be taken literally maybe reading this like this opens up something different here and Honestly, I think those things are healthy. I think it's healthy to question those things because honestly, I think reading that way and kind of opening ourselves up to these different possibilities makes the light can help make the light of God shine brighter in our lives, shine brighter in our faith and actually bring us to a place of pursuing faith instead of this this like drug-like dependence on certainty. I think when we come to a place where we embrace faith over certainty and especially where we come to this place where we can embrace a little mystery, we can embrace some ambiguity, we can embrace not knowing it at all and still have faith. And I think there's something very special and very wonderful to be had there and something that will definitely grow us into better followers of Jesus. So, where exactly will we be taking that? Well, we'll um, introduce our first series. So, over time, I've definitely learned to kinda of fall a little bit more in love with and to embrace more of the old testament in all its weirdness. And of course the old testament it can be something we're a little wary of or something we have a little trouble with, 'cause, you know, it's weird and it's crazy and a little game of thronesy at times. You know, all the good old blood, guts, and misogyny. So it can be kinda of daunting, kinda of scary, and uh Quite frankly, a lot of us may like the New Testament better. Yeah, let's go over here with, you know, nice, with nice, cool, chill God instead of the, uh, the you offended me, so I kill you, God. Or, you know, so we look at it. But I think, honestly, we need both Testaments. We need the Old Testament and the New Testament because so much of the New is influenced and inspired by the Old and also, too, the early church they didn't have the new testament they were still working on that they had the now it's still, still all coming together that didn't wasn't canonized and compiled until much later you know the old testament scriptures were what they had and there's so much even behind the development of those and also too i mean with if it i think honestly in scripture if it bothers us it means that we have to explore it more we have to figure out what it's there for So, but yeah, I mean, there's so much weirdness in the Old Testament. There's so much craziness, you know, all the, you know, like I said, all the good old blood, guts, and misogyny. And it can be daunting, it can be weird, but we have to dig into it. And honestly, one of the weirdest books in the Old Testament is the first one, Genesis. There's so much craziness in Genesis, so many crazy stories, so so much that's good and so much is very bothersome and troublesome there but i mean it's there and it's part of the christian tradition we have it's part of our corporate story and we have to make sense of it we have to try and dive into it and even more weird in genesis one of the weirdest parts of it is the first 11 chapters you have these, like, very strange collection of stories moving with these, you know, crazy time gaps up to Abraham, and, you know, we have this, like, every everything view, and then you go straight to Abraham, and there's so much that happens in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. You have the creation, you have the other creation, you have the fall, you have Cain and Abel, you have The lines coming from Cain and Seth, you have a bunch of guys that hit these crazy, crazy ages, I mean, getting super platinum diamond adamantium ultimate status with the AARP. You have, you know, the Nephilim, whatever those guys are, you have the Flood, which that has its own challenges, you have the Ark, you have the Tower of Babel, there's so much weirdness there. And I mean... We can try to just gloss over it. We can try to just like take it for what it is and move on. We can try to ignore it or we can actually dig into it and try to figure out what's going on there. See if there's a deeper story there. See if there's different ways of looking at all these things and maybe discover more there. Maybe discover something richer. Maybe discover these things that God may be trying to tell us. Things that can augment and build our faith and deepen it and have us come out better than when we came in. So our first series is going to be looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you know, looking at the creation, what that entails in different ways of looking at the creation, looking at the fall, what that entails, looking at Cain and Abel, looking at the lines of Cain and Seth, looking at things like the Nephilim, at things like the flood At things like the Tower of Babel and the life of Noah, and trying to figure out, you know, what's meant here, what's being said, try and look at different possible ways of looking at this, instead of just like the finite scope that we often go in with or the Sunday school versions of this, to try and look at it for all its dirtiness, for all its bloodiness, for all its craziness, and try and figure find something deeper find something wonderful so it's something that i definitely look forward to and i definitely hope that you'll that y'all keep uh listening join me in that it's something i am definitely excited about and i hope you are too Thank you for listening to the Open-Handed Bible Podcast, a program dedicated to engaging scripture, embracing mystery and ambiguity, and uncovering a deeper, richer story. If you decide you actually like this show, then go ahead and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Leave us a review, leave us some stars, leave some comments, whatever you like. If you don't like this show, eh, maybe rethink your life choices a little bit, just saying. Be sure to be on the lookout for our next episode. We'll start our series on the first 11 chapters in Genesis, and we'll be talking about creation. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you later.